All right, thank you, Pastor, Pastor, Pastor. We're glad to have you here again tonight. Uh, wagon wheels, glad for all the wheels being here tonight. And I'm sure looking forward to next week, Wagon Wheel Baptist Church, Missionary Baptist Church next week, uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday again. And we at Low Mountain, we Low Mountain people, we appreciate you being here so many nights. I mean, that's a drive, that's gas, that's time, that's inconvenience, but praise the Lord, you've added so much to our meeting this week. You really have, and I'm praying Lone Mountain's going to add to your meeting Amen. next week. And so we're going to do this again, different messages, totally different messages next week. And so we invite all of you to Wagon Wheel next week over there in Henderson. So praise the Lord, we're going we're gonna to have a great, great time. Just continue, we're going to take this Amen. and just move it on over there. And so, but this is the final night here at Lone Mountain, and I want to say publicly how much I appreciate all of you and all of your kindness to us, all of the meals and the beautiful, wonderful lodging you provided for us this week, and uh, Pastor John and Lori were great friends, and uh, just appreciate you so much, and, and, and you're all a blessing to us, and this is one of our supporting churches, so we appreciate that every month you send us funds to do all this foreign work that we do. And so pray for us as we continue on after Wagon Wheel, Thanksgiving week with our eldest daughter down in the Phoenix area. And uh, we'll just bask in the sunshine of grandkids next week or after that. And then head on up to uh, Ohio and fly out of uh, Ohio for uh, London, England. And so we'll have the whole month of December in London, England there, having lunch with Charles III. And so we're going to have a great time there preaching the gospel to the, to the Brits. And the Brits need it. And uh, they're hard, hard, hard. All of Europe is hard. I've preached all over Europe. They're hard nuts to crack. And anything the British Empire has touched is hard to crack. You go to, we come into Australia. When you're up in Australia, had a couple different, three times there. And the saying in Australia is, she'll be right, mate, she'll be right. She'll be right, mate. That simply means, why did you leave America and come to our country? We're fine. We don't need what you're preaching. We're good religious people. She'll be right, mate. She'll be right. And then you go to New Zealand. And the saying there is six feet under, six feet under, which means they think you die like a dog and you get, you get, you get planted on the ground. They say, that's it. This earthly life is all there is. Six feet under, that's it. What are you doing here? And so, yeah, we go to South Africa. It's hard there as well. And so, uh, but you pray for us. We're, we're heading to England. We get back from England. Where are we going, Pastor John? Israel. Israel. All right. So Bob Wynn, skyscraper Wynn, he is there. And he's, he's going with us. Pastor John's going with us. And we'll enjoy that very, very much. That's Jan January 9th through 21. We come back from... Israel, then we had in our, what we call our South Pacific Island tour. We do it every other year, usually in the odd year because I'm an odd person. But uh, last year, everything canceled because of COVID, so we're doing it all this year. We've got uh, three weeks in Hawaii. and Don't look at me like that. Somebody's got to preach to those people. <laughs> Might as well be me. And so uh, three weeks in, a, uh, in a Hawaii, then on to uh, Panape, Micronesia, and then on to Guam, and then on to the Philippines, six weeks in the Philippines, 
and then we have uh, two weeks in Japan, and then a week in Cambodia. So all of that is coming up, and that is what you are funding. So praise the Lord for your help, because we get in these places, there's no real love offerings. And you, we go to Africa, and they give, you, they give you a whole trunk full of bananas and coconuts. That's your love offering. One time I, I preached in Africa, and they said, we'd like to give you an offering. I said, well, if, if God feels, if you feel so led, you know, and the two goats. <laughs> Here's your love offering for the week, two goats. So we tied them up to the top of that van, and they screamed all the way back to the capital city, Kinshasa. And we got to Kinshasa, and you know what we did? Slaughtered them, and we ate them. <laughs> Does that sound cruel? We did. And that's why they were given to us for food. You know, we, we, there's nothing better than curry goat. If you've never had curry goat, you haven't eaten. All right. But we get all kinds of different offerings. You know, we, we appreciate you and appreciate the support you give us for these places because we pay our own airfare there. Many times we pay our own expenses on the field and then uh, not, not offerings. They, they want you to give them offerings. Uh, <laughs> You learn that when you go to these foreign places. Aren't you going to help fund us? We want to have these meetings, but we don't have any money. Can you fund these meetings? And sometimes we have to do that. So appreciate you. Love you. Looking forward to all of us together next week again. If you'd like to follow our ministry, go to our website, evangelistrandyshoban.org. And on there is our latest prayer letter. There you'll find our schedule. And you just, you just click on there and push the schedule button. Up comes our schedule. And you pray for us. We need your prayers. And pray for us. See where we are that week and, and lift us up in prayer. And we sure would appreciate it. Well, before the message tonight, uh, we're going to have my wife come. And remember, we're, we're looking at the, the lovely Lord Jesus. And we've, we've seen his teaching ministry, shepherding ministry, cleansing ministry, changing ministry, raising ministry. Got one more for you tonight. And uh, so let's listen to my wife and then the preaching. I am often asked if I write the poetry, the, the, the recitations that I do. I do not write them. I have read enough poetry to know what good poetry should sound like. So I do not write my own. But years ago, my father wrote a poem that expressed his heart for serving the Lord. And we pray that it continues to be the prayer of our hearts as well. There is no greater joy at all when in obedience to God's call, one rescues man from Adam's fall and leads him to the Lord. The task at times would weary men, but in his strength, they preach again. And in response to sovereign Ken, men bow before his word. So faithful be in all thy work. From duty, servants dare not shirk nor flee from demon powers that lurk to threaten those who've heard. There'll be a day not distant now, when men of earth before him bow, and those who've kept their sacred vow will join in his reward. Amen. Amen. Yes, that was my...
That was uh, her father, my father-in-law, Dr. Ed Morrell. who was a great poet, great songwriter, uh, preacher, evangelist, missionary, pastor. He did it all. Well, we're here now to come before the throne of our God, and, and let's pray. Lord God, we, we look out over this wonderful crowd, and we see so many loving, kind faces, and they've been such an encouragement to us. And it's a blessing to have brethren that encourage one another. We provoke one another into love and to good works. And Lord, I pray that you bless each one of these. Some have been faithful every single night. Others have just missed one night or two nights, but they've been faithful. It's been a delight to preach to them, such a great crowd to preach to. And we appreciate their many encouraging comments. And we appreciate that they love you and they love your word. As always, if there's anyone in this crowd that's not yet tasted to see that the Lord is good... They've not yet bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus. They've not yet succumbed to his saving grace. I pray tonight would be the night of salvation, of conversion, being born again. I pray, Lord, for some that need to come by faith to you, receive the forgiveness of sins, receive eternal life, and that they can know that and have assurance of that. So, Lord, bless all of us, though, even as believers, as we listen and as we revel in our Savior tonight as we've tried to share him and lift him up every night. So bless, Lord, to your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, tonight, 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 we've got to culminate, culminate at Calvary, at Calvary. You've got a nice representation here. I like this here. Calvary is a word that comes from the Latin Calvaria which means the place of the skull. There's an Aramic word, Golgotha. That's Aramic, not Arabic. Aramic is what the Jews spoke in the Babylonian captivity. And so the Aramaic word is Golgotha, also meaning the place of the skull. I take you now to the dying ministry of the Lord Jesus there in Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, the Lord Jesus is coming to the cross We've looked at him through the week in his early ministry and then in his ministry as he made his way to Jerusalem. He's touching and changing lives all along the way. We, we saw him change the lives of those ten lepers in Luke 17. We saw him change the life of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. We saw him change the life of Lazarus and Mary and, and Martha last night from John 11. And now we're going to see the Lord Jesus touching and changing a life even when he's on the cross. Even on the cross, he's going to change the life of a man next to him. You'd think it'd be enough to be bearing the weight of the world on his shoulders, paying the debt of billions of people's sin. And in the midst of that darkest hour, he's going to touch and change the life of the man on the next cross. That, that, that amazes me. The care, the love, the compassion, even in his dying breaths, he's touching and changing lives. So we find in Luke 23, three crosses. Three crosses. So we have three R's for you homiletically minded people out there. We have, first of all, in verse 33, the cross of redemption. The cross of redemption, Luke 23, 33. And when they were come to the place, 
which is called Calvary. There they crucified him. That's our Lord Jesus. They crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. There they crucified him, the cross of redemption. And we see what the Jews thought of what they considered an imposter Messiah. There's no Messiah coming out of Galilee. But you know what? Those Pharisees and religious leaders went to hell on an assumption. Isn't it interesting? You'll, you'll read through the whole gospel accounts. Never, ever did a Pharisee or a Sadducee or anybody else ask Jesus point blank, where were you born? They never asked him. They assumed, since he was called Jesus of Nazareth, that he must have been born up in Galilee. That no, he was born in Bethlehem, Ephrata, according to the prophecy of Micah chapter 5, verse 2. He was born in Bethlehem. Just as the Messiah was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. As God shifted the whole world population around to get Joseph and Mary and Mary great with child to Bethlehem. And these Jews that they had asked him, where were you born? He said, Bethlehem. And they would have known Micah 5 too, and that he is the fulfillment. And so the Lord Jesus comes now to the cross, and we see what the Lord, or what the Jews thought of him, because crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst. If you're going to be executed, there were many different ways the Roman government could execute you. But when they brought Jesus before Pontius Pilate, they didn't cry out, behead him, behead him, because beheading was a merciful way to be executed. John the Baptist was beheaded. James the Apostle in Acts chapter 12 was beheaded with a sword. Very quick, very painless, but crucifixion. Crucifixion was a long, agonizing, brutal way to die. People could hang there for days. And if you were crucified in the summer months, you literally baked to death in the sun. The only way to breathe on the cross is to put yourself up. And so with every breath on the cross, excruciating pain and eventually die of asphyxiation because you only had so much strength left and you couldn't push yourself up anymore, you're going to die and suffocate. Well, the Lord Jesus, when brought before Pilate, they screamed, crucify him, crucify him. He's the worst of the worst. He deserves a long, agonizing, excruciatingly painful death. And so the Lord Jesus is taken to the Antonia Palace and he is beaten. He is scourged with a cat of nine tails. A Roman soldier went to a special school to learn how to scourge and whip someone with optimal, optimal torture. And with a cat of nine tails, they shredded every muscle in his body. And he was literally ripped to shreds by that cat of nine tails. And then they made him carry his 100-pound crossbar. And the only way he could do that is because the Fort Antonio Palace, which is adjacent to the temple of God in Jerusalem, is the highest point on that mountain of Jerusalem. 
And so carrying that cross by 100 pounds because, and only because of the gravitational pull of the earth, he could go downhill with that on his back. But once he reached the Tyropian Valley floor, the road to Calvary was straight uphill, and there's absolutely no physical way he could carry that crossbar up that hill. So a Roman soldier forced by the sword a foreigner, one Simon of Cyrene, to carry that cross for him. Now, Matthew 27, 35, they crucified him. They crucified him. We see what the Jews thought of him. Crucify him. Crucify him. We see what the Romans thought of him because whenever they're going to crucify a group together, they always put the worst one in the middle. Where was our Savior? On the middle cross. Why did they consider him the worst of the worst? Because of his crime. His crime was that of insurrection. He's a rebel rouser. He is leading an insurrection against the Romans, and that wasn't true. You remember when he was before the Sanhedrin in an illegal mock night trial, they pinned the, 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 the charge of blasphemy. You have made yourself equal with God. You're a blasphemer, and we as the Sanhedrin, we condemn you to death. But it's interesting, in the morning when they bring into Pontius Pilate, they don't have a charge of blasphemy, do they? And they know that Rome will never crucify anyone for the charge of blasphemy. The Romans could care less who blasphemed who. And so now the charge has changed from blasphemy to one of rebellion. He's a rebel rouser. He's an insurrectionist. And they knew that would make Rome want to crucify him. And they told him, Pilate, if you let this man go and Caesar hears about it, you'll lose your job. And Pilate, far more concerned with his position and rank and wealth, gives an innocent man over to his Roman soldiers to be crucified. And while he's on that cross, he's dying in your place and mine. Wonder of wonders, the God of heaven comes to the earth and goes to the cross and allows his own creation, man, to nail him there, that he might bear in his body our sins upon that tree. And so the cross of redemption, you must come there for salvation. You must come to the cross humbly. Come to that cross and invite the blood that was shed there to cover you, cleanse you, and save you. You must bow the knee before the Lord Jesus and receive him as Savior and Lord. You say, well, I'm not sure how to receive him as Savior and Lord. Well, you'll know how pretty soon here. <laughs> so you have the cross of redemption. Number two, the cross of rejection. The cross of rejection in verse 39. And one of the malefactors. Now let's talk about malefactors. What's a malefactor? <laughs> well, simply it means an evildoer. In, in Matthew 15, 27, it, he said Christ was crucified between two thieves. Matthew 27, 38, he's crucified between two thieves. Malefactor is a general term for any evildoer, but we know from these two other gospels that the crime is theft. You say, well, wh what crime would Rome want to kill and execute? What did he steal? It Well, it wasn't some apple from a marketplace someplace. We know there's only one thievery that is condemned by execution. 
Listen to this, Exodus 21, 16. And he that stealeth a man and selleth him shall surely be put to death. Again, in Deuteronomy 24, 7, kidnapping, selling people into slavery. That was a capital offense. Even in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 1.10, these were men-stealers. That's their crime. It was a capital offense to steal and kidnap people and then sell them to the slave traders and the boats of, of slaves that would be taken around the Mediterranean Sea area. And you get involved in that trade and you get caught, you're dead. You get the death sentence. And so here are these two men who are hanging next to Christ who are men-stealers. Shanghai, they used to call it. And sell that person into slavery and they make money in that slave trade. So that's the crime of these two. And here we have the cross of rejection. And one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, railed on Christ, saying... If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. If, if thou be Christ. You don't sound too sure, buddy. <laughs> and you can imagine him hanging on this cross. Ho, ho, it's my lucky day. Look who's hanging next to me. It's that miracle worker, Jesus of Nazareth, heard about. Well, if you have all that miraculous power, why don't you get yourself and me off of these crosses? You see, he has the same problem that many people today have. All I want is a savior from my problems. Just ask Jesus into your heart. He'll take care of all your problems. Now, is the Lord God of heaven concerned about your problems? Yes. He's concerned about your problems. But don't say that that is salvation. Many people are just like this thief on the cross. Well, if you are the Christ. Well, if you are up there, if you are, if you are... Uh, help me, save me, I'll do whatever it takes to get out of my problem. <laughs> Imagine the Lord Jesus saying, yes, and if I get you off that cross, what are you going to do? Are you going to go on sending his fool hat off? <laughs> he has no conviction of his sin. He has no understanding of who this really is on this cross and, and, and what this man is doing on that cross, dying for his very sin. <laughs> All he wants is a savior from his problems. Many people today, God is nothing more than the 911 God. They don't need him. They don't worship him. They don't serve him. And they go on, but oh my, 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 let's get an emergency going here. And all of a sudden, they become so spiritual. And now they dial the 911 heaven line. Now, Jesus, I need you. Now I want your help. They had no use for him before that. There are many people like this who go on the highway of life, and as long as everything's going well, they don't pray, they don't worship, they don't give, they don't witness, they don't faithfully attend the house of God, they don't live a holy life, they just do their own thing and go their own way until they get a blowout. Whoa, now we got a puncture, as we say in Jamaica. I got a puncture. 
Got a blowout in life. No problem. We got a spare in the trunk. And guess what his name is? Jesus. Jesus is my spare tire. I don't need him when everything's rolling just fine. But oh, I got a blowout in life. And now I go and I get out my spare tire named Jesus. Who are you fooling? You are so self-deceived. You actually think God is your father and that you, you have a relationship with him. So self-deceived. The cross of redemption are those that just want Jesus as a savior from their problems. We've got to be careful how we preach. There are some hot shot evangelists out there. You've got family problem, marriage problem, you've got health problem, you've got financial problem. Just ask Jesus in your heart. He'll take care of that for you. And all you people flooding the aisles coming forward for salvation. That's all they want is a salvation from their problems. And I've pastored churches long enough to know that when their problems go away, they go away. Never see them again. Don't be like that. That's a cross of rejection. There are some people who want not only a problem-solving Savior, they just want a penalty Savior. And what I mean by that, there are those who are willing to ABC, pray after me, and supposedly get saved, but all they wanted was the Lord Jesus to be their fire insurance. <laughs> so all they wanted was a deliverance from hell. You want to go to heaven, don't you? You don't want to go to hell, do you? Just pray after me. <laughs> Now, can God use the subject of hell to convict people of sin? Yes, he can. Jude 23 and others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire. So that is a viable means, and I still preach full messages on hell and on the lake of fire, and God can use that. But if that's all they want, so I just don't want to go to hell. I don't want to live for Jesus. I'm not going to be a disciple. I'm not going to be a follower. I'm not going to consecrate and dedicate my life to him and, and, and live a life that brings glory to him. I just don't want to go to hell. Oh, be so careful. There's so many, so many who, if you ask them, yes, I'm saved, but really they wanted to save you from their problems or save you from hell without any true, true commitment to serve him. Now again, serving him is not what saves you. Serving him is the result of being saved. If you're saved, you have the Spirit of God in you, and you're washed away of all your sin, and you have a relationship with the living God, and you're a child of God and have eternal life, you're going to want to serve him. And if you don't, if you don't, there's a big question mark on your profession of faith. So here's the cross of, uh, cross of re rejection. We don't want to go there. I pray if you're there, you'll get out of there and get to the next cross in verse 40, which is the cross of reception. See, the cross of redemption, the cross of rejection, the cross of reception. You see, the thief over here, he's been listening to the other thief. He has listened to this man say, well, look who's on there. If you are the Christ, get yourself and me off these crosses. And now what's going to happen is this thief over here is going to preach a message to the other guy. If I had a title for this message, I would call it the man who was saved by his own preaching. <laughs> I'm telling you in verses 40 and 41, 
There's enough gospel there to save the world. And and this this thief over here is going to show us what's involved in actually professing a genuine faith in the Lord Jesus. Look what he says. And I got another outline for this part. Isn't that something? The other one, answering, rebuked him. One thief now rebukes the other one, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man, referring to Christ, hath done nothing amiss. What a message. He said, don't you realize we're all in the same condemnation? That's a a pointed fact. You know what the pointed fact is? We are all under the same condemnation. Every human being that's ever been born and walked this earth has been under condemnation. Yes, we are born as sinners. We choose to sin. We're all in the same boat. We're all sinners deserving of hell. We're all in the same condemnation. It's all inclusive. Nobody is excluded. All, all. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. And with the stripes we are healed. For we, all, for we all have gone astray. Everybody. All have gone astray. We've turned everyone into his own way. Every human heart rebels against the God of heaven. Rebels against the authority of God. Every human being lifts a fist against the authority of God. We've all done it. All of us. All of us have gone our own way. All have gone astray. Isaiah 64, 6. For we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before God. We're all in the same condemnation. We're all unclean. We're all like filthy rags. And even if you think you have some self-righteousness or some religiosity or some level of morality, God said it comes up before him as a filthy rag. And I don't even want to tell you what them filthy rags are because it's quite crude. But that's how you're goodness and your self-betterment and your religious system and that's how good works look to God and why class did we learn earlier in the week God cannot receive anything out of the heart you're born with you must be born again because because we're born in the flesh and that which is flesh is flesh John 3 16 John 3 6 and that's all it can ever be The heart you were born with is not capable of producing anything that God would receive. Why? Because it's coming out of a heart of sin and depravity and corruption. I don't care how religious it is or what what good, good works it is. It cannot be received by the God of heaven. Romans 8, 8, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. I preach it and I preach it and I hope somebody gets it. And I hope even you believers get it because you need to share that with your lost friends who are religious and moral and upright and who are trying to serve God, but they cannot. Because God won't receive anything out of the heart they were born with. That's why Jesus said, you must, you must, you must have a new birth. Be born again. Get a new heart. 
And when you're saved and born again, Christ comes into your heart and life, cleanses you of all your, cleanses you of all your sin, and gives you a new heart that can serve him. So we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same condemnation. Romans 3.23, for all, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What does that really mean? Think with me at a great athletic competition, and we're going to have the broad jump. The broad jump. It's an Olympic event. And this first guy steps up to the edge, you know, and he is, he is Mr. Muscles, and he is Mr. Legs like this, and he is, he is a great world athlete, and it comes to the broad jump, and the whole crowd is going wild with excitement, clapping, applauding. And this guy, I mean, we're going to try to jump across a 100-foot chasm, 100 feet, 100 feet chasm to fall is certain death. And so here he is, he's, he's about to wind up for his broad jump, and he jumps, and it's a world record, 35-foot broad jump, world record. The crowd is going ecstatic with excitement, 35 feet, it's a world record. Uh, do you see a problem? Yes. It's 100 feet across the chasm. And although people are applauding, and he had the world record jump, he still missed the other side. Then you get this other guy. Here's the next guy. Not so athletic. People are, yeah. (laughs) They're polite. And he he winds it up. And he does pretty well. 20 feet. That's pretty good. But he also falls short of the other side. And then there's this really puny looking guy. He gets up there. Nobody's excited. He goes, and he just just falls right in, you know. The point of the story is that some people have greater leaps of religion than others. Some have greater leaps of morality than others. But the pointed fact is everyone misses the other side. That's why we need to be saved. That's why we need to be born again. That's why we are helplessly, hopelessly lost in our sin, and no amount of religion or moralities can change that. We need our Savior. Only He can carry us to the other side. But notice what else He said. And we indeed justly, verse 41, and we indeed ju- we, we're, all, we're, we're condemned. We're in the same condemnation. And we indeed justly, For we receive the due reward of our deeds. We're on these crosses because we deserve to be. We're on these crosses due to the justice penal system of Rome. And the Roman law says you steal men and sell them into slavery. That's punishable by death. And God said the same thing in Exodus. We knew what we were getting into. We knew if we got caught, we'd be crucified. And we took our chances and lost. We gambled and lost. And so we are on these crosses because we deserve to be. We're receiving the due reward of our deeds. That's also true spiritually. If God should give us what we deserve, we'd all go to hell. See, if you can't get to that place, you're not ready to be saved. And I I talk to people all the time who never get to that place. (laughs) Have you ever talked to people... (laughs) Say, are you a sinner? 
Well, yes, but not as bad as other people. <laughs> you know, if you compare yourself with somebody else, you'll always look good. You'll always find somebody out there more wicked than you are. But this is what they say. Well, you, well, I'm a sinner, but not as bad as these people over here. But you admit you are a sinner. Well, yeah. Okay, because of your sin, do you believe you deserve to go to hell? Oh, no, no, not me. I'm not that bad. See, that person will never be saved. We realize that we are sinners by nature and sinners by choice. Every one of us have willingly broken the laws of God. And James 2.10 says if you break the law on one point, you've broken the whole thing. Can you imagine hanging on a chain? Hanging on a chain with ten, with ten links. You're, you're hanging over a great chasm to fall a certain death. And you're hanging on the end of this chain with ten links. And one of the upper links breaks. And you say, no problem, I got nine left. Oh, one of those upper links breaks, you're gone. You're dead. You're dead. Can you imagine going before a judge for murder? You murdered, and the judge is sentencing you to death. Say, wait a minute, Mr. Judge. I, I've kept all your other laws. I never got a speeding ticket. Never robbed the bank. You surely you let me go because I keep all the other laws. No, a judge who's worth his salt is a judge. You say, no, you killed. You murdered somebody. You're, you're dead. You break the law at one point, and you're... You're dead. And we all deserve judgment. The Bible says that every one of us, according to the Lord Jesus, Matthew 7, 13, every one of us are on the broad road heading for destruction. Every one of us is born in sin and we choose to sin. Every one of us on that broad road heading for destruction. And unless God intervenes, we'll all be destroyed in the, and, and end up in hell. But the wonderful truth is that God does intervene. I'm so glad God has an intervention in my sinful life. And I'm glad he interrupted my sinful lifestyle to present his claims upon my life that he accomplished and purchased on that cross. And so all of us are under the due reward of our sin. And if you continue in that sin and you don't have this divine interruption, you don't have this divine intervention called the new birth, being born again, being saved, you will be cast into the lake of fire. No doubt about it. I guarantee as sure as I'm here, someday hence you die in your sins, you will stand before God at the great white throne judgment and you will hear that pronunciation, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That is no joke. That is reality. That is prophecy as well as any other prophecy has been fulfilled. That one will be fulfilled. And so make sure you're saved. And this man... Is telling us that we're sinners and that we deserve judgment. And then this man puts a personal faith in the Lord Jesus. Notice verse 42. And he, same one preaching to the other guy. Now he turns his attention to the center cross. And he said unto Jesus, Lord. The sad truth is the modern English translations don't even have the word Lord there. People wonder why we use the King James Version. I'm not trying to upset anybody. I could give you so, so many scriptures with the modern English translations don't even have these words. Lord, that's an important word. 
This man's heart is ready to come to Christ and addresses him as Lord, you are the Lord. Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You got to come knowing who he is. You see, it's who Christ is that made what he did on that cross so important. And the Lord Jesus was the perfect friend. This man hath done nothing amiss. Jesus Christ has done nothing amiss. He's perfect. He's the perfect friend, the perfect sacrifice for sin. Even Pontius Pilate said three times, I find no fault in him. Pontius Pilate's wife says to her husband, have nothing to do with this just man. The great centurion in verse 47 of our text, certainly this was a righteous man in another gospel. Surely this is the son of God. Everyone declaring him innocent. And he was. And he is perfect. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He knew no sin. 1 John 3, 5. In him is no sin. That had to be so. Because we needed a perfect sacrifice for sin. Now I could say, hey, I love you, man. I love you, man. What I want you to do after the service is take me out into the yard and crucify me because I love you and I want to try to save you and and I will go to the cross and I will shed my blood for you. Now, can I do that? It would be a noble gesture. The problem is my blood is as sinful as yours and yours as sinful as mine. As, As great of an ambition as that would be, it could never happen because I'm a sinner. Just like you, but Jesus Christ is sinless. And so he could offer himself as a perfect sacrifice for our sin. And God offered him up as a sin offering, Isaiah 53, 10. And so the perfect man is hanging there. And the personal faith is placed in him. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Lord, Remember me. He didn't say, Lord, remember all the masses of humanity that walked this planet. (laughs) Lord, remember me. A personal faith. So we got a pointed fact, and we've got a perfect friend and a personal faith. Lord, remember me. Me. I'm the sinner here. You've done nothing amiss. You are completely perfect and innocent. I'm in a condemnation, and I deserve this cross judgment, but you're sinless. And Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Not like this guy. Well, if you are Christ. No, there's no if about this guy. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Fully persuaded who Christ is. Fully knowing what he's doing. Fully knowing that you are the king you, you're the king, and you have a kingdom, and I want in. I want in. You're the king. you got a kingdom, and I want in that kingdom. And we who are saved, that's what we said one day. I'm a sinner deserving of death and hell, 
And I am helplessly, hopelessly lost. And I know that you are the Lord. I know that you are the God of heaven. Take on a human body. I know that you are King Jesus. And you have a kingdom. And I want in. I want in. Oh, my friend. Do you want in? Do you want to be saved tonight? And then the wonderful conclusion is paradise forever. Verse 43, And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. This very day we're both going to die. The Lord Jesus only hung on that cross for six hours, which is miraculous in itself. No one on a cross dies that soon. 9 a.m., he's crucified. The same time when all the lambs on Passover are tied to the horns of the altar. And at 3 p.m., he dies the same time that the Passover and sacrificial lambs, their throats are are slit at 3 p.m. Beautiful typology. Christ is the Passover lamb. And so the Lord Jesus is on that cross, yes, excruciating. Every time he lifts his body up, the, the gnarled, tangled nerve endings in his, in his, the nail in his feet send this, this horrendous pain all through his body. And for six hours, he hung on that cross, bearing our sins. But at 3 p.m., promptly, at 3 p.m., he dies. And again, how could we do that? Brother Jerry, you remember this one from the earlier in the week? He died because he could dismiss his spirit. He said, no man takes my life. I have power to lay it down. I have power to raise it up again. The Lord Jesus, when he finished paying for our sin, says, it is finished. Sin's penalty is paid forever. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And he dismisses his spirit. He said, no man takes my life. I'm not dying here because somebody nailed me here, although the nailing and the blood are so significant, aren't they? But he could dismiss his spirit. Can you do that? Can you just die? Just show me. Just die right now. Just die. How about it, Elmo? Die for me, would you? Oh, the power, the power, the power. Our Lord Jesus dismisses his spirit. Today... Shalt thou be with me in paradise? And that thief would have hung there a lot longer, but the Roman soldier comes with a big old hammer and smashes his knees and breaks his legs so he can no longer push himself up. Broken legs can't do much. And that thief, that repentant, faith-filled thief, immediately dies and joins Christ In paradise. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Think of the faith of this man. Here's a dying man placing his faith and dependency for eternal life. And the dying man next to him. Oh, there's a lot of people believed in the Lord Jesus. Like last night when he had a crescendo miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. Many believed on him. But here's a man willing to trust Christ in the Lord's darkest hour. I'm dying. You're dying. But I put my faith in you. (laughs) Remarkable faith. Oh, what a personal faith. Have you ever come by faith to the Lord Jesus and said, Lord, remember me? (laughs) 
I'm a dirty, rotten sinner deserving of hell. I've broken your laws. I deserve judgment. But I believe you are the sinless Son of God who's dying in my place and shedding your blood for me. I believe right now you're going to rise from the dead and you are alive forevermore. Remember me. Remember me. And you'll hear the Lord Jesus say to you tonight, you will be with me in heaven forever. This is the message we preach. This is the message all of us who know the Lord share with other sinners. And we have a Savior who is our Redeemer and our Justifier. And He's our Reconciler and He's our Sanctifier. And He's everything we need for all of eternity.